just like you took everything else in your life seriously, you need to take this seriously. This, if you plan to run a business, run a business, run a, uh, know how to do, there is, you should never, ever, ever not understand any line in your accounting spreadsheet. You should, if it look, and if somebody says it's really complicated, then they're lying to you. You're a doctor. Like you did biochemistry, please, whatever. Hi, this is Dr. Jen Barna. Welcome to Doc Working, the whole physician podcast. At Doc Working, our specialty is coaching physicians to achieve the best of life and medicine. This is the podcast where we talk with doctors about real life outside of medicine. Welcome back to the Doc Working Podcast. This is Jen Barna, and I'm here again with Coach Gabriella Denry, MD, and Dr. Miriam Michael. This is the third of three episodes where we continue our conversation with Dr. Michael and hear some of her best life hacks. She'll give us her best tips and tricks on everything from wealth building with real estate and budgeting to private practice as a business model to postnuptial agreements. We hope you enjoy your tips as much as we have. Oh, you said you lived in apartments. Did you ever own like multi-unit type of setups oh. or? Oh yeah. Oh gosh. You mean when I, when I finally did buy a house? Speaking of budgeting, I'm just, I'm just really interested. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, part of the thing is being poor takes away choices. So I know that sounds wrong, but I don't like being poor. So, uh, <laughs> so one of the, and you know, one of the things that makes you poor is a house. That is a terrible cars and houses yeah. make you poor. So true. <laughs> so my problem so now that it's a thing, it's called house hacking, but you know, yeah. I way before it was a thing. So when I, when I bought my, every house that I've ever, ever lived in has a rental. I have never lived in a house that doesn't have a rental because I am not paying mortgage. Oh, I am paying mortgage, but I am not funding the mortgage. So every house that I've ever had, I've never bought a house that didn't have a rental space that would be equal to the mortgage payment. Mm-hmm. That way it gave wow. me freedom since I'm not tied down to the house or not tied down to a job because I have to pay for a house right freedom to make choices Mm -hmm. so if I wanted to move away that from that house I can move away from that house because you know the mortgage isn't holding me down so it gives me a lot of flexibility in where I want to live so I actually always live and mind you I've had like 25 jobs who knows but I've always lived (laughs) like three or four miles away from home and part of the reason is because I can abandon a house uh, that because I'm not paying the mortgage on. And so when you, when you abandon a house, do you then just rent, do you oh, yeah. still keep yeah. ownership and then you rent both sides yeah. or both worlds? I'll sell it. And, but it's even more attractive because it's got a rental, like mm-hmm. who's not going to buy a house. So whenever I buy a house, I make sure whether it comes with a rental or doesn't, I, it is a house that can be converted into mm-hmm. another part of it can be converted into a rental. So that, that's brilliant. I love it. I feel like if, if you're a young physician listening to this, mm-hmm. like hear that, if you hear nothing else out of this conversation, yeah, absolutely. that's such good advice in terms of your financial security long-term. Because I mean, you, you, you think about it when, I, I don't know what, uh, we were residents way back when. So I think my before tax salary at that point was about 30,000 maybe a year. <laughs> And then when you become an attending and literally overnight, there's a massive change. There's a massive shift. And I think a lot of us, I certainly didn't at the time know what to do with that. Mm -hmm. But here, even with 
student debt, whatever the situation may have been, there's still an opportunity to leverage it to play for the long game and to set yourself up in a way that you can really build not money, but wealth that you and can- stability. And stability and negotiating exactly. power. And negotiating right? power, absolutely. Yeah. And playing for the long game for your family, mm -hmm. you know, over, you know, what happens. Yeah, if you can after live, you if you can live, you know, plan on your spreadsheet <laughs> to live, you know, a certain number of years even on your resident salary without increasing your spending significantly. Right. I know you're probably going to increase it a little bit maybe to just, you know, replace your clothes <laughs> or something that, you know, you <laughs> have to replace right after residency. But uh, if you can live on, you know, keep that same frugal mentality that you have as a resident fellow mm -hmm. into life post-residency, post-fellowship, then you can get, get yourself into a place of stability where you have the ability to negotiate and make your choices and come from a place of strength. And uh, I think because of that, you would feel much more secure. I think that's the biggest. And, and that's true. Part of the other things that I do with my budget is I do like really, really nice things. So I'm only allowed to buy one really nice thing a year. So I'm only allowed to buy a certain amount. So there's certain things that are, that I don't have to worry about. So t-shirts, underwear, and like socks, I can buy as much as I want. I'm only allowed to buy two bottles of perfume a year, and it doesn't matter if they're cheap or thing. So I have these very strict rules about what I can buy because I'm not allowed to shop because that's dangerous. It's dangerous. And I'm allowed to buy one ridiculously over the top thing a year that is like just meaning like a purse or a shoe. The thing is that, so you can have these outrageously over the top stuff, but you're only buying one. And since I'm only allowed to have four purses at a time, I do have four fantastic, like really ridiculously fantastic purses. But, and I can't get rid of them because they are fantastic and I can't buy any more. So, <laughs> but it does, what it does is that my budget, you know, like I never, ever, ever have exceeded my clothing budget, even though it seems like a lot, it's, I've never exceeded it because you have these rules that you put in place. So if you know that you are that girl, you know, I go to like, I have friends who are designers, so I go to fashion week um, and I can actually put clothes on and go to fashion week and not look terrible, but it's the stuff that I've had for 20 years. So you can be that like over the top spender while sticking to a budget, but you have to really create rules for yourself mm. and you can't spend it on a house and a car. Uh. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> or if you get a car, get one that's already... Oh, I've never bought a new car ever. That is bad money. That's bad money. Absolutely. You're right. You're right. <laughs> You're right. Talking about magic sauce. Yeah. You know, part of the thing that's overwhelming is just the amount of, of administrative stuff you have to do. It's just overwhelming. You can sit up all night, every night, and you'll never catch it. And then there's this weird expectation that you should be on top of, that you're gonna answer 130 emails and every day and then 70 texts. It's just like, who can't? And you're supposed to actually have a life, have a clean, it just it just blows me away how anybody's expected to do all of that. So it's not even cheating. I think this is the right way to do it, is I found this book, it was hilarious. It was the four hour work week. And it talked yeah, I love it. a virtual <laughs> And I was like, wait, wait. So I looked it up, I couldn't get the one he had, but I found a virtual assistant in India, like 
and it was phenomenal, let me tell you. First of all, I love sending angry letters. It gets rid of all my like, like whatever pain <laughs> I have goes away. So if I'm at, you know, like Target at line seven and the person is outrageously terrible to me, I will, you know, email my virtual assistant, tell him to write an angry letter. And I love it because it's very weirdly Britishy, in, you know, like that foreign English. <laughs> more <laughs> impactful so <laughs> now see this is wonderful because i have entertained the idea of of having a virtual assistant it sounds like such a wonderful idea of having any kind of assistant but i've you know you know how it, it's hard to let someone else do tasks for you because you want them done a certain way and then you have to redo them and it's like okay i could have just done this myself in the first place and it maybe would have taken less time but you're giving me wonderful ideas of what you can use a virtual assistant for. Mm -hmm. So tell us more, please. But part of it is the same thing. It's kind of, you have to very clearly give your expectations of what you want to do. Uh, one of the things is, you know, I am a ward attending. So, and I believe it, it was such an important part to what happened to me was writing really good letters and writing everybody who, and I want to do it upfront. So, I will ask them, you know, to send me an email with, you know, bullet points of what they want in their letters. I'll, I have four or five templates that I give and he puts into it into the template as much as he can. He reads the, you know, statement and everything and he puts it in and I tell him to send that letter to the medical student or the resident mm -hmm. if they want anything changed. It, yeah. it removes me as the middleman then I don't have to read it or make you know any of those things and then I get it back and it just gets signed but the other thing is I travel a lot I have a lot of frequent flyer miles so I will tell him I want you to spend no more than four or five hours looking for three tickets and so he'll do all of that he'll make the reservation and send it back to me and then I'll just pay for it so that four or five hours of getting yeah. on the hotel, doing all of that, the flight, plugging in my frequent flyer miles, yeah. doing all of that is done. And I give him the parameter of how many hours I want him to spend on it. Because at, I mean, it's not that much. I mean, it's like $10 an hour, but it's still the expect, yeah. you set the expectations. And I, I was telling Gary, I, I like sending Christmas cards, but I'm too lazy to do them. So. <laughs> This is the best. Day. I just don't this send the them. I just day. I haven't sent them in like 20 years. So I I you know you know you, you go to whatever to Shutterfly or whoever makes your cards or even go to Marshalls buy a box of cards with stamps and you know labels and you send them to <laughs> to the virtual assistant halfway across the world. Yes. <laughs> we'll write lovely notes in whatever script that's not yours, handwritten notes in each card, label them, put a stamp on them, and send them back. Uh, so then I just and all you have to do is stick it in the mailbox. <laughs> Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Brilliant. <laughs> but I mean, how did you find uh, letting go? Because there, there came a point where you kind of had to trust the process and let go of certain things. As you said, you set it up for letters of recommendation that instead of you having to double check after the, the letter is written, that it goes directly to the resident for them to look at it. And then then all you do is sign. At what point did you decide that you had to kind of just trust the process? I think that you have to make choices 
you have to decide what is important in your life. And there's certain things that are important in my life. I like, I like going out. I like traveling. I like, you know, having a life. And I also want to work and I want to do all these things. So the choices that you have is you can get drowned. And I'm, I'm neurotic. I'm a particular person. I like things done on time properly. Either I can waste my life doing it. Mm -hmm. or I can give it away or give it up. And since there, you know, we live in 21st century, we are lucky to be born in a time where all of this exists. Right. So I think you should take advantage of it. So part of it was giving it up. The other thing I had to give up a lot to make the things that I want happen. I, I gave up, you know, I, <laughs> Gave up a lot of colors. <laughs> my wardrobe is very, very... <laughs> My children laugh at me. They call me. That. <laughs> they, they say that I dress like a cartoon character. You know how a cartoon character wears the same thing every single day? <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I get that too. Sometimes, sometimes I wear them inside out by accident. But... <laughs> Backwards. <laughs> I mean, I have, I, I have, I, I wear black pants. I have one pair. Thank God it's made by a scrub company because they, it substitutes as my dress pants and my scrubs at the same time. So <laughs> I have nine of them, you know, so <laughs> mm -hmm. it's easy. You don't spend time shopping yeah. and choosing. It's my You're dress just like, pants right. And and it, you throw a blaze on it. And, you know what? Can you, know. you share that? You, maybe you can share the link with the brand name oh, for us, it. please. Speaking <laughs> of hacks. Urbana, Urbana. <laughs> and it's funny because it's made for curvy girls. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and then, you know, I have, I have the same, I, I, it's a, it's a joke in our household because I can never keep enough of them because everybody, it's everyone's t-shirt. So when they were kids, when my kids were small, we used to get like packs of, like from Marshalls, we used to get packs of Calvin Klein V-neck t-shirt. And I'd buy like four packs of them in at different points in their life. It was medium or large and everybody had them. Uh, so that was everyone's t-shirts. We didn't have any other t-shirts in our house, whether it's- <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Makes perfect sense. Keep it simple. <laughs> they don't fade when you wash them. They look, they look good. Uh, they lie flat. They've got great material. And then the other thing is I'd always buy like 20 pairs of the same socks, the same black socks. And everybody in the family, I don't care who you are, that's the socks that we're wearing. And then when they kind of- That's so got, smart. Too many got lost. I would just throw all of them away and buy another 20 pairs. <laughs> <laughs> That's brilliant. I love that. <laughs> so I have problems now because they come and steal my stuff. They're like, wait, wait, go get your own. <laughs> oh, yeah. Exactly. Okay. You mentioned, and I'm quoting back, that I had to give up certain things. Are you giving up something or are you gaining something? Oh, no, no. I gain. I mean, it's, it's a gain. To me, I, yeah, yeah. I, mm -hmm. I mean, my favorite color is orange. It's not a color you can use as a, like, you know, staple. So, <laughs> so I own nothing in orange. <laughs> Practical. <laughs> it's one of those things. Exactly. So you're, you're kind of making a decision as to what matters to you most. Yeah. You know, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and clothes shopping is not one of them. 
No, I mean, I, I love fashion, but mm-hmm. I wear very, very few basic things that are interchangeable. Mm-hmm. And it makes for traveling really easy. So we travel a lot with my, with, I'm that girl that if you call, uh, I will sleep on your couch. If you like are going to the South of France and you need one more person, I, I'm there, I'll sleep on the floor. I don't care. <laughs> awesome. My bag is packed. <laughs> right, it's already packed at the door. Come on, let's go. <laughs> Okay, very good. So one of our conversations, Miriam, which was a hot topic, was private practice, yes or no. And you said, and I quote, it's a stupid business, end of quote. And I would love for you to talk more about that. I think what's your what's your experience with private practice, first of all? So I've I've been in private practice twice. And it's, mind you, it's a business. And you have to understand it's a business. And it's, but it's a bad, bad business. It's a really bad business. And the reason I say that is when you look at physicians and they open another business, uh, not like dilettante business, like where they open like a restaurant. I mean, you, you, if you're in a business, you have to be in a business, like you have to run the business. So if you're in private practice and you're running this business. It's a terrible formula. The only person who's bringing in money is you. What a terrible formula. If you get sick, no money is coming in. And the outlay, your fixed costs are so over the top high. And then we have this ridiculous system where you get paid six months later, but you don't have any negotiating power in getting your payment. You don't even know how much of that you're going to be getting back. It's terrible. This system where the insurers have all the power, all the negotiations, all that. I mean, it's we're in the most powerless position you've ever been in, in a business. You have these fixed costs that you can't get rid of. It's insane. And the amount of work that you do is over, it's incredible. You have very little negotiating power with your fixed costs on top of it, which is really hard. So I think that if you're gonna put that much, I mean, I have to tell you, like a Dunkin' Donuts, it's such a great business. Like a Dunkin' Donuts. Probably more profitable, yes. A lot easier, yeah. Get a franchise. <laughs> I mean, you can negotiate your fixed costs so much better. Than you can. It's just that I think that as a businesswoman, I just think it's a bad business. I mean, it is the way we do practice, but you don't, I mean, to me, I just, if I was going to put my my like business hat on with, you know, my business glasses and my you know, spreadsheet and put that much time into a business. It's just such a bad business mm-hmm. um, that every day that I came in, even though I loved it, I love the patients. I love the secretary. I love the like refrigerator with, you know, your coffee and everything. It was just such a bad business that it was too difficult to waste my, I think, hard work into trying to create not even so much wealth, you're creating out of a formula that's so flawed. So I did it twice and both times I was like, holy cow, this is terrible business. <laughs> I mean, but I think that-, that I want to make money, let me go make money. <laughs> <laughs> but do you think autonomy was the reason why you wanted to go into private practice? Or what was the push, do you think? It's the way doctors do business. Um, <laughs> I mean, there's not a lot of other formulations. You can work as an employee in a private practice. You can, where you don't have as much power because you still put in a tremendous amount of time and you have very little say-so. 
So I stepped out. I did hospitalist. I did, you know, which is one of the ways I stepped out. I stepped out of private practice by not practicing clinical, like in clinic medicine. And it freed me to have time to run a real business that made real money. Uh, so <laughs> you start opening another door. So, you know, like uh, <laughs> I'm, I have to tell you, I am in love with Dunkin' Donuts. Uh, I love the mini Dunkin' Donuts. It's a Harvard. great oh. idea. I swear. It's a fabulous idea. Why not? <laughs> hey, if you're in the right location. It's, it's location, location. Location, location. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Why not? I mean, the world is open and the possibilities are endless. And I think that that's, I think that to, for me is the bottom line flexibility of going into medicine and a medical career is like, if you don't want to just be in one, you have the option to go in as many branches as you possibly can. There is tremendous flexibility. And sometimes it's about thinking outside the box too. It's not always just in a particular setting, in a particular model, that you can create different models for yourself, which is what you have done. So would I say how that- did you find, How did you find private practice? I, as a person who's really in private practice, it's, it's hard because it's a really difficult business. You talked about the difference between uh, a private practice for a woman physician and said that you've had male colleagues and you were in private practice with male colleagues and that there was a certain expectation of a woman physician in that practice setting, that was a little different for the guys. And I'm wondering if you could touch on that a little bit. You know, it, it, it sounds so sexist when I say it. It used to irritate the heck out of me. So, you know, I'd have these colleagues and they'd say, oh, I'm going to go pick up my daughter. And everybody, all the, all the secretaries are like, oh my God, he's such a great dad. Look at him, he's going to go pick up his daughter. Like, if you said, I want to go pick up my daughter, they're like, what, you're leaving again? To go pick up my daughter. You know, like... <laughs> And somebody so else pick her up, right? Exactly. And somebody else pick her up. <laughs> I don't know. You know, and it is, it's true. I actually, and I'm that person. I actually expect more from my daughters because you're a girl, but you're better than that. And that was the same expectation from everybody. Like everybody expected me to be like, to do that extra. So when my male colleagues did it, they were like, oh, they're so amazing. <laughs> like, it was just for me uh, <laughs> what would be an example of like something extra that you would have off the top of your head uh so i mean i always clean up behind myself because i just think that that's just bad you don't you know you don't mm, mess yeah. but my colleagues would always leave a mess they would always leave a mess. you're like what you can't make your bed do you like like does your wife make your bed like what is this what's going on <laughs> <laughs> or and the patients and i and i get it like i know that every time they do surveys on patients patients they may gravitate to a male doctor but they actually think that their female doctors are the best. So, you know, when they, when you ask them, like, who gave you the best care, they will always, always check off, like, the, the female doctor gave the best care. So they're not stupid. They know it, but they're still, like, they still have that thing where they will defer to the male doctors. I, I mean, I'm a nephrologist, so I've had all these old patients. So they will, they always call me Miss Miriam or Miss Michael. Like, I don't care. It doesn't matter. But they never call really? my Really? You don't care? I, I care. That's a pet peeve of mine. I, I do because I'm, I'm bringing it up. <laughs> you earned it. Yeah, you earned it. You earned that MD just this, exactly the same mm-hmm. as your male colleagues. And then, you know, my male doctors, they'll never make that mistake. They'll always call them a doctor by their last mm. name, not by their first name. I mean, even my in-laws, I mean, they, they were, they got at me. One day they introduced Mrs. and Dr. Clark. I was like, what? Oh. So, you know what? I didn't get up. I was like, they announced this at a wedding you know it's pretty, and I was like yeah I'm sitting here I'm not going through that personal channel 
good for you. But, so, I mean, stuff like that. So it is, it's very different. So, well, you know, we'd be sitting for a meeting and I mean, not that I, but they would all get like a cup of coffee given to them and I was like, yeah, okay. I mean, that's fine. But if you're giving everybody else, you're not giving me what? Right. <laughs> so, and then the, there's also one of the things you have to be really, really, really cognizant about is that they're going to get paid more. They are. So unless you're in the room negotiating, like this is not going to work. Like I asked them, like, how much are you making? Because, you know, we're all making the same amount or else this doesn't work. This whole thing doesn't work. So mm-hmm. I'm very upfront. Like you need to tell me how much you're making because I am going to find out. So don't lie. <laughs> yeah. And invariably, they, the, if allowed without that, the negotiation always ends up with you making less. And that's not going to work for me. That's good. Yeah, that's good. And if you can join a group where it's all transparent and everyone, I mean, everyone makes the same, I I guess it depends on your specialty because my specialty is very shift oriented, but for, for radiology, you know, if, if you can join a group where everyone makes the same per shift, it's very transparent. There's nobody, you know, if you work more, you make more. That works great. Completely. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So I always like practices where there's that open book meeting where every like everything is very clearly defined because this is about money. This is a business about money. And, you know, if I bring in more money, then I get more money. If you so that that makes sense. But I always want to make sure that everybody understands that, you know, whether I wear a frilly dress or not, which I know, but we're all sitting down and, you know, it's going to be about money. Bottom line. Exactly. It is a business. It is. And it, it needs to be treated as such. So one more question, and I, I wanted to ask you this because you said that it's not a smart business and you've had experience with practice practice and you've made that determination based on your experience. So, but for those young physicians who are out there and they really want to go into private practice or it's a, something that they're seriously looking at, what advice would you offer them? What do you think they need to really be aware of? So, I mean, you have to understand that there's many ways to make money. And it is a business and you have to sit and you have to, you know, really understand your business. You have to know how to do bookkeeping. You have to be able to track all the money. You have to sit down and have open book discussions about your finances and run it like a business. It, it, I think what happens is people will hire people as their business, you know, managers and never look at the books, never look at what their accounts receivable are. And just, they just become, they're just a doctor. So if you want to go in there and just be a doctor, you shouldn't run a business. If you're going to do it, take the time, go on YouTube or take a class, like, which is what I did and do bookkeeping. You should know at least basic bookkeeping um, because it's a business that you're running. So I think that just like you took everything else in your life seriously, you need to take this seriously. This, if you plan to run a business, run a business, run a, uh, know how to do there's you should never ever ever not understand any line in your accounting spreadsheet you should if it look and if somebody says it's really complicated then they are lying to you you're a doctor like you you did biochemistry please whatever (laughs) (laughs) oh you're absolutely right no accounting that's that that's that hard come on (laughs) that's very true that's very true so i think it's a very you have to understand as a physician, you will not be wealthy from private practice. You will be rich, meaning you'll make money. Mm-hmm. But wealth comes from controlling your expenses, meaning 
all the other stuff that you spend money on. Uh, it is about investing your money. It's about, you know, just so many of the things that you do in life makes the difference between you having money and being wealthy. And it's very easy as a physician to be wealthy. You just have to be very careful about your expenditures. And most expensive thing that you can have is like a spouse, good God. Uh, so be careful. <laughs> oh, yes. And that, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. <laughs> the spouse. Read the contract. <laughs> Read the contract. You mentioned at one point post nup. I had never heard about post nups. What's that? So in the throes of your happy marriage. Okay, so there's only certain ways that you can protect yourself financially from a spouse. One, don't get married. Uh, two, <laughs> but if you, but if you do, on it, you know, <laughs> understand the contract liabilities <laughs> and know oh about the prenup. Like, listen, prenup is usually tissue paper. Once they've sent out that magnet that says save the date, any prenup that you do is trash because now it's under coercion. So like, you know, that's a useless thing. So for your, like my, I plan on getting married three or four additional more times. So, you know, I have to, <laughs> but so one of the joys was that, you know, after I got divorced, I, I had four kids and I just didn't want to ruin that relationship with my children. And I saw so many of my friends who picked partners and a step-parent relationship is really hard with one kid, let alone with four. Mm -hmm. So, and I wasn't really interested in another person parenting my kids. I, it's just, I thought it was just, I already had an ex-husband who was parenting and I was there. And then to add a third, good God, was going to be just too difficult. So I enjoyed that time. Like now, during this time, I wasn't going to bring any man home. So, but I then now had another opportunity in my life to date inappropriately. They weren't going to be my children's step parents and I wasn't bringing them home. So I had this amazing period of time where I was raising my kids and dating completely inappropriately because. <laughs> so so How in the world did you fit that in? I mean, it was scheduled. <laughs> and actually Tuesday night. <laughs> oh my goodness. Hey, the schedule, the budget. <laughs> But part of that is like, if you get married, you need to do this. So, you know, once I got married, I knew things were going south. I, I knew I, I was not the best. It just was not working. You know, you can read the tea leaves. So I was like, oh my goodness, like, how can I do this? You know, this is, this is going to wrong. So I realized there was this thing called a post-nuptial. In a happy marriage, you can sit down and negotiate, you know, things that, God forbid, your marriage fails. But it has to be like in the throes of your happy marriage. <laughs> So, you know, we, no we, red flags we, there. <laughs> Catch them when it's uh, good times, right? <laughs> Use the good times. <laughs> so I understood that this was not going well. And before he got to, like, he got the message, like he eventually he divorced me and it rightly so, rightly so. But, <laughs> but it, be, before that happened, I knew that I had to like get a couple things negotiated. So mm. we, you know, I negotiated like, you know, children's college and life insurance and all these other things. We actually sat down calmly and did this negotiating. Then we went to a lawyer and got it like written down and signed it off. And then <laughs> when we went to get divorced, you know, I, I gave it to the judge and the judge was like, well, this looks like your divorce decree. <laughs> 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 I mean, it's something that definitely things that you're worried about that 
God forbid your marriage, especially when you have kids, your marriage mm-hmm. doesn't work, you want established, then it, there is a thing called a postnuptial, and it really is very strong. It's a very strong document because it's made during marriage. And it's usually concerns what you are going to do with your children, especially financially. So <laughs> like, you know, my children can never be disinherited. Uh, <laughs> That's important, yeah. How yeah. many other children you have, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, uh, I was married to a, a Gabrielle, I was to a West Indian, so you, know, <laughs> you never know how many other kids are going to come. <laughs> hey, it's the nature. It's the way it is. <laughs> it's the way it is. <laughs> so yeah, you got to prepare for that too. <laughs> you can have four more kids, but listen. <laughs> yeah, to make sure that these children of mine are... Yeah. <laughs> are taken care of absolutely it's just all these smart moves and smart advice and and i love your energy i love your creativity thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us thank you so much really a pleasure listen one of the things i want to very very clearly say is i'm always eager to learn something new because i know there's better ways to do things so i have this beginner's mind any ideas so i'm in love with this I love this idea of bringing ideas forward that other people can use because that's always my joy. I love that. Mm. Well, good. Well, hopefully in addition to um, benefiting a lot of people who, who will, Absolutely. I think, be very much benefited by all of the ideas you've thrown out here, um, hopefully you'll also enjoy some of the, the future guests and, and maybe get some ideas that you'll find entertaining or useful. Yeah. Thank Absolutely. you so much. I really appreciate it. <laughs> I'm going to be listening very carefully. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Thank you. You're an absolute joy. Thank you so much. Hello, and thank you for listening. This is Amanda Heron. I'm the producer of the Doc Working Podcast. If you enjoyed our podcast, please like and subscribe. We would also love it if you checked out our website, which is docworking.com. And you can also find us on YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Our Instagram is docworking1, and that is with the number one. When you check us out on social, please let us know what you would like to hear on the podcast. Your feedback really means a lot to us. And if you're a physician with a story to tell, please reach out to Jen at jen at docworking.com. Thank you again, and we'll see you next time.